What does it mean Messiah matters? It means apart from him we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Do people realize their their theology is completely engulfed and enwrapped with the Messiah? We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, January 24th. This is Messiah Matters, number 203. Broadcasting from the Torah Resource Offices in Tor- in Tacoma, Washington. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me from a valley somewhere in Spokompton, <laughs> Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, man? What up? I can't tell if our levels are really high or not. Let me uh, turn this down just a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. How's it going, man? It's going very well. Good. Man, we have, we've had some... God. We've had a lot of interaction this week. So I had a really fun week for those who don't know already. And you can find this on the Messiah Matters YouTube page. Formerly the Robin Caleb Show YouTube page. But but go to the uh, the Messiah Matters YouTube page. And at the bottom, uh, there is a category called Other. Other. And there is a uh, new video in the Other section, which is a commercial that uh, Mike, who works here, who's our graphic artist, and uh, my wife, my gorgeous wife, and myself put together. And uh, we had a lot of fun it's doing hilarious. it. It's hilarious. I, I just think it's so great. Um, I love the sense of humor. I like the lightheartedness. I like the, the uh, I mean, it just takes you right to the heart of these, of these things, you know. It clears the, it clears the discussion table. I gotta, I gotta say it's, uh, it, it, initially we were going to do a 30 second commercial. That was the goal. 30 seconds. Once we filmed it, we cut probably a minute and a half <laughs> of what we were going to put in there. Oh, and we, we still ended up with a minute. It's a, it's 60 seconds. So the editor's job's not easy, is it? You're like, what do I cut out? Like, what do I right. keep? Right. How do we how do we tighten it up even and, more? And then yeah. I I also made I made two other versions too. So I made a thirty second version, and then I made a six second version. And you really have to be creative to get you know what what's going to portray the message. So anyway, um, yeah, go take a look. It's called what do we call it? <laughs> I don't even know what my own commercial is called. Uh, get answers. No, it's, it's got uh, questions. Difficult yeah. questions. Difficult oh. questions is what, <clears throat> is what the video is called. So go check out difficult questions on on the YouTube page. Um, and then, actually, for those who actually listen to this show, it's better to go watch the video on our YouTube page because we're going to actually advertise that video a little bit. And if you see it before, like if you click on a different video on YouTube. And you see our video as an advertisement, 
every time somebody watches the whole thing through, we pay for it. I mean, it's not a lot. It's like a penny or something like that, but still. So, yeah. Well, welcome, everyone. And it, something else happened. Oh, yeah, that's right. Kelly uh, gave us a great email with great feedback about our new intro music. Um, she said that while she really enjoys the new intro music, we don't say anything about Yeshua. We say about we say things about the Messiah, right? Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. Yeah, we, we don't. Never, she's we just never, saying, hey, put say Yeshua's name in there. Yeah, exactly. I, think that's a, I love it. It's a great idea. It'll take me a little bit of time. I have to go back and, and find a good clip to put in uh, where we mention the name Yeshua. <clears throat> you know, it's all about Yeshua. It's all about Messiah. I don't know. We, you know. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. So uh, for those in the chat room, welcome. And it uh, looks like Michael has put in the link to uh, the the commercial that we just discussed. And he says, watch and share. That's right, share it. We, uh, we'd we love for everybody to share it so more people can see it. Mm-mm-mm. Speaking of Kelly, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know who in the world we're talking about, but we're talking about the good folks down at Yeshua Shirts. YeshuaShirts.com. Get a shirt that says Yeshua on it. Um, actually, Steve, our buddy, is is coming up our way now. He just uh, his contract with uh, the mothership Google just ended, and uh, he is now uh, heading. Yeah, that's right. He's now heading up towards uh, my direction, towards Tacoma, and I think he'll be over towards you at some point as well. Hope so. I'm excited to see that guy. Anyway, okay. Well, should we just jump right in? We got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, why so, don't we? Normally, um, the past two shows, as, as those who listen on a regular basis know, we have moved uh, the format of our show a little bit. And instead of responding to people and to, uh, instead of responding, we're trying to actually discuss, uh, have our own discussions. And uh, so last week, we, and they all center around, well, I mean, all of our theology centers around the Messiah, right? Yeshua? It all centers around Yeshua. So basically, um, we can talk about anything, and it's going to come back to the Messiah Yeshua. But um, the first week we talked about uh, the Messianic expectation in the first century. And then last week we did kind of the same thing, but we looked at the Exodus and asked kind of how did the people in the first century see the Exodus? Did they see the Messiah in the first century? And uh, one of our main points I think that got uh, drove home was circumcision and the sign of circumcision. And it's actually a, a right. P uh, so I, I cut these little videos that are anywhere around five minutes or so. And I post those throughout the week so that people can see them and, and see if it's something that they're interested in. And usually I take a, a video from each segment. Well, that was one of the videos that I took was the meaning of circumcision. And we were talking about circumcision, what the meaning of circumcision was. And I was explaining that I uh, thought that it was the cutting away of the flesh because the Messiah would come through a virgin birth, right? Uh, not through the male organ, but uh, that was going to be taken away, just like we take away the flesh from the male organ. Well, we got a lot of conversation about that. <laughs> Even people who se seem to agree with us uh, also somehow seem to disagree with us, but not really. It, it was some very interesting interaction. Should we do this first or should we, we should probably go, let's go farther back. So that's the setup for the, for the next thing we'll talk about, but let's, let, let's pump the brakes here for just a second. Cause I want to go back to Andrew's uh, question. This, this is a good question. I don't think it should take too long. Um, Andrew is a, a brother who writes constantly to us. Uh, his, his, uh, 
his YouTube handle used to be Manim for Yeshua 144,000. Now I think it's Emmanuel, Emmanuel with us or uh, a disciple of Emmanuel or something like that. Anyway, um, okay. so so he's uh, he's he always writes good comments and and uh, challenges us and and uh, uh, we have a good back and forth with Andrew. So he says to us, he says a topic I want to see addressed on the show. Under what conditions is the Pesach lamb, the Passover lamb, going to actually start being slaughtered again? I know it hasn't been done since Rome sacked Israel. Uh, yeah, they did it for a couple of years after that, I think, right? There's legend that they did anyway. And uh, yeah. uh, Andrew goes on. And most today are uh, essentially uncomfortable with the idea of animal sacrifice being done in the present. I don't know if that, well, yeah, I would agree that the Christians are definitely like that. But I, I think most in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement are excited for the temple to come back, right? Anyway, we have to be intellectually honest with Exodus 12, Andrew says. Okay, so, um, and what Andrew's talking about is the idea that in Exodus 12, what happens? And I think everyone knows the story, but we'll recap it real quick. You take the lamb into your home, right? And you have the lamb in there. And then uh, it's it's with you for several days. You probably name it, right? The kids get attached to it. It uh, sleeps on the couch while y'all watch TV or whatever. And then um, you take the knife and you and you slit the throat of this lamb. Uh, no bone is to be broken. You put the blood over the doorpost and then you roast the lamb and you eat the lamb. And then uh, by morning everything has to be burnt up, right? And so I guess uh, the point that Andrew's making here is that it's all done in the home, right? It's not done in the temple, right? Okay. You mean at the, but not at homes throughout the land of Israel. Well, and this is actually, so obviously we well, have... Well, the original, obviously the original command is Exodus. And right. And, um, you know... We're going to have to kind of probably have another show just on the word Pesach. Pesach does not mean Passover. Like it, you think like, oh, it skips. Like like we're going to pass over your house because the, the angel of death because you've got this blood on your lintel. Um, it actually in the earliest in the Greek and we know the earliest translations of it is protection. That, that it's the Lord's protection. So in other words, the wrath of God is coming on Egypt and all the death of the firstborn, etc. And there's protection on the houses that are observing the Passover. Right. It's not that he's like the angel death going from house to house and then he skips over a house, which is kind of how I learned it in Sunday school, like <laughs> like Passover, like, oh, I'm not going to go. No, the idea is that that the wrath of God is is coming down all around. But you have houses of, of the Israelites are protected from that wrath because of the their, their being obedient to the commandment. But, of course, the, that wrath of God was only that first <laughs> right. uh, exodus. For, uh, from there on out, it's a, it's a reminder of God's protection. But they don't continue to paint blood over the lentils every year, right? Now, hang on um, just a second. I want to I just mention, I, I understand that there are people in the chat room who don't believe that we'll have a temple again. And I understand that people take uh, Ezekiel, the 10 chapters in Ezekiel that talk about the the, temp, the coming temple as allegory for our body, which I, 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 I don't take that interpretation. 
but that's okay. And then I, and it looks like someone else uh, is suggesting that uh, no, there won't be animal sacrifices again. Okay, well, agree to disagree on that one. Um, I agree with you. Maybe another point that should be made, uh, Rob. I agree with you. Maybe maybe another point that should be made, however, is that uh, it doesn't seem like, for some reason, it doesn't seem like they were celebrating the Passover in the wilderness, right? Well, I think they did the first year. Right. In numbers, they did. And then that's when they asked, you know, you had the people that couldn't, uh, they were unclean, then they were unable to observe it. And they said, well, uh, God gave the provision that they could celebrate it in the second month. They could celebrate it. Um, but after that, it seems like they did not celebrate it in the wilderness because in uh, the early chapters of Joshua, when it says that they kept the Passover, um, and after, after all the males were circumcised, because remember all the, all the previous generation, uh, 20 years and up that had come out of Egypt that had actually experienced that first deliverance firsthand, they died in the wilderness. And so it was the children that came out of uh, Egypt and uh, then those born in the wilderness that actually entered into the land. Right. Um, and it says that they were circumcised by Joshua. So, uh, and I'm going to pause one more time. I'm going to put the conversation on hold. Uh, I noticed that uh, Derek just entered the chat room. A big congratulation to the Pauly family on their new arrival. Um, he's actually the second Derek in he's one of two Derricks in the past two years that uh, or two 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 years. Oh, two that's we, right. Yeah, two weeks. Two that, weeks. That, last that, week or so. Yeah. Yeah. Have had uh, babies. Okay. Well, um, let's just go real quickly then to this idea because actually, you know, Andrew makes a good point. But um, in Leviticus seventeen two through four, uh, it, the idea that we're allowed to sacrifice anywhere gets switched and it gets switched to the, the tent of meeting, right? It says, speak to Aaron. I'm reading in the NASB, by the way. Speak to Aaron and to his sons and tell all the sons of Israel and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded, saying, any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside the camp and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. So... Um, Sacrifices get uh, brought to the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and there's a shift here, right? Sacrifices are made beforehand uh, pretty much anywhere. And then once the tent of meeting is established in the Torah, then uh, that changes. You can't make a sacrifice mm -hmm. anywhere. Right. And then uh, in Deuteronomy 12, 1, uh, 5, and 11, uh, it changes to the place where God puts his eyes and his ears, and that is the temple, right? Once the temple's built, it says, uh, I, I will put my eyes and my ears here forever. It says, uh, these, are, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. Then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contributions of your hands. 
and all your choice votive offerings, which you will vow to the Lord. Okay, so there's a shift here to the temple. What is interesting is that it seems in, in the book of Jubilees— well, to the, Go to, ahead. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, to Jerusalem, yeah, to, the, to a center. So the— um, the interesting thing is that in Jubilees, and as Rob has already stated in previous shows, we don't know how widespread Jubilee was or uh, how much it was taken as a text to be followed or if it was just, I mean, who knows? It's, maybe it was some fiction writer back in the first century or uh, two, 200 years prior that was uh, you know making stuff up. But the point is, is that in Jubilees you have, uh, they weren't allowed to leave the Temple Mount the whole time. At least that's how it seems. It seems like they're not allowed to leave the Temple Mount during the first night of Passover. So everything's done on Passover. There's uh, priests and guards that are on the Temple Mount making sure nobody leaves. By the time the first century comes around, Josephus and Philo both talk about the celebration of Passover and what it was like in, in Jerusalem. And basically there was so many people. We don't know how many people there was. It could be anywhere from like 300,000 people but most likely up towards a million people. That's what Josephus says. I think Philo says even more than that. I think he says 1.2 million people um, came from all over Israel into Jerusalem uh, for this pilgrimage festival, and that it was so big that there weren't enough, uh, there wasn't enough room on the Temple Mount. And so what did they do? They declared all of uh, all of Jerusalem to be ritually clean for that for that day, uh, for the 14th through the 15th. And so what would happen is you'd bring your lamb to the, and this is all laid out. It's very, uh, it's very interesting to read about how they did this, but they would bring the, the, uh, lambs to the temple. The priests would slit the throat, dress the lamb and give it back to you. It was the only, it was the only sacrifice that was given back to you. And then since Jerusalem was declared clean, you then took it's like it. like a serious roasted. assembly line. Like, right. Hundreds of priests. Uh, action going on. It would have to be, you know, just the logistics are pretty insane. And the reason uh, that I believe that this is not only true, but also that it was accepted by God is because Yeshua does it. Right? Yeshua says, go prepare the Pascha. And they go and they prepare the Pascha. Right? And then he says, I won't eat it again anyway. So, I mean, I know that this is a big controversy among Hebrew roots and Messianics, and Christians for that matter. Um, but anyway, it seems as though this is the, the protocol that Yeshua uh, adheres to. But I think by the first century in Jerusalem, you weren't allowed to slaughter your own Passover sacrifice at your house. You took it to the temple. That's oh, correct. My, that's my correct. personal opinion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. With that out of so the way. I don't, think, I, I, I don't think people in the diaspora were slaughtering no. lambs and then calling it Passover or slaughtering lambs and painting blood on their door. You know, I, I, that was not happening. There's no, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Yeah. We do have that. There is the story of, of the, uh, of like a Jewish temple quote built one in, uh, or some sort of altar, um, built in the fifth century BC down on what they call the island of Yeb or, yep. or uh, Elephantine. And we do in there, we have these Aramaic papyri from there. They do describe keeping uh, unleavened bread 
I think the frag the section that t- would talk about a lamb, I think is missing. It's I think it's like broken off, so we don't have that. Well, it's the the um, letter the letter that I believe you were referencing is actually a letter from a king telling the people. Uh, or from uh, s- someone in, in, you know, saying the king has said that we can celebrate Passover. Yeah. And so make sure to get all the leaven out of your house, get all the beer out of your house, right? So it it talks about beer. That. Yeah. No, yeah. We don't see anything there about the lamp. But then there's a temple like in uh, in northern Egypt, Leontolopis, uh, Leontopolis. I don't remember how you say it. Um, don't know. I think only Josephus mentions it in passing or something. So we don't know what was going on with that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that they were slaughtering lambs and calling it Pesach out in the diaspora. I think they would have known, no, if you're going to do that, you got to go to Jerusalem and do that. Well, and then you, it's one of the it's one of the Hagim. It's one of the right. The, you, but you the, also have you also pilgrimage. have the possibility of and this has been uh, for those who don't know who Jody Magnus is. Jody Magnus is a prominent archaeologist and, and uh, professor of archaeology, but um, she's uh, helped do some of the digs up at uh, at Qumran. This is something that she's changed now her opinion on in the past, I think, year year and a half. Uh, Jody Magnus used to uh, be a big proponent, saying that no, Qumran did not do sacrifices at, up you know, where they were. But in the past year, year and a half, she's changed her tune on that. And now she is uh, saying that she believes that they did do sacrifices up at Qumran. Whether or not that's true or not, who knows? But uh, I mean, Jody Magnus is much more qualified than I could ever be to uh, talk about those things. But the point is, is that there's possibilities that uh, the Qumran sect and then also the Egyptian uh, uh, Jewish sect that you just discussed were possibly doing sacrifices um, there was, yeah, they, basically they found what there's a place where there's a stone in the ground and they did samples that there's like high concentration of ash. Right. Um, so they know that there was burning going on. And I think there's with bone deposits and things, they've kind of tried to reverse engineer and say, how could this have got, uh, why would this be here if there wasn't some sort of uh, slaughter and burning going on? Well, and then, uh, but, but then... I know that this is, I'm going to get reamed for this, but it's my opinion of first Corinthians is that, uh, that Paul is telling the, uh, the Christians, Christians in Corinth that they are to celebrate the Passover. And, uh, instead of having a Passover lamb, because they wouldn't have a Passover lamb in the diaspora, he makes the statement in five, uh, for Yeshua is our Passover lamb, right? So in other words, you don't have the Pascha there with you, but we have Christ as the Passover lamb. So this is how you celebrate the, the Passover. Okay, let's move now to um, perhaps what will be our main topic. And we've talked long enough that I can't imagine this wouldn't take us another half an hour to 45 minutes to uh, to tackle. Um <clears throat> As I had stated, uh, we've had a lot of back and forth from people, and, and uh, we had a really good comment or question, rather, from a gentleman named Paul. And we'll read that afterwards because I think that this is going to tie in specifically with um, our, our discussion of, of circumcision. Now, we had a person who's been commenting on our YouTube video on circumcision and the meaning of circumcision. 
and their handle is A-L-N-O-T-01, all not one I think. Anyway, um, and so I've, I was interacting with this person right up until we went live for the show. Um, so I didn't grab all of the interaction, but this person says, if you are a Christian, then circumcision has no religious value whatsoever. See Acts 15 and Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in some of the discussions that I've had recently with, uh, with friends of mine who believe the same thing, they all, they go to Acts 15 and they go to Galatians, which is interesting. So, um, this person continues, I believe as I do not, despite my being a Christian, but because I am Christian, uh, then I responded and said, uh, well, there's a great article on Torah resource about Acts 15. I would recommend you read it because I think you're misinterpreting Acts 15 there. And uh, they said, what is Torah resource and why should I be bound by what it says? I claim no Jewish ancestry. This is interesting too. We'll come back to this in just a second. Paul made it emphatically clear that circumcision was religiously useless. That a man was circumcised earlier in his life was not a drawback, but it was not an advantage either. There are many passages in Paul where he reveals his hostility to the faction of early Christians that believed that Christianity was a Jewish sect, so that Christians should believe themselves bound by should I'm sorry. Yeah, so that Christians should believe themselves bound by the, the six hundred and thirteen commandments. Okay. There's so that sound can I yeah, he there's so much he's going reading on here. A few, he's got like a couple commentaries. It looks like he's reading, and right. I would say they're the wrong commentaries. Well, the, um, the, the fact that he's conflating six thirteen, right. this idea of religious value, this right. idea of uh, what was the other? There was another key phrase he used there that kind of betrays like what books he's reading. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, okay, so. Um, <laughs> There is a lot. I responded to to this, and I said, "Well, look, you you know, if if this is the interpretation you're taking of of these passages, then basically you're set, you're pitting Paul against Yeshua, and you're pitting Paul against the entire Tanakh, the the entire." Well, would he say? Would he say that does the Sabbath have a religious value? Well, hang on just a sec. Basically, I mean, basically towards the end of this conversation. Well, actually, right after this, the comment he made was that, yes, the, the Bible is made by, uh, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's written by humans, so we have to expect there to be um, flaws and contradiction. So, basically... So, he doesn't have a high view of uh, scripture. scriptural inspiration. Right. So, that, that's one and, thing. And but, yet, is... but yet he's... Uh... Yeah, but you know what? You know what the interesting thing is to me, Rob, is that is that if 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 someone's going to take this view that this is what Paul is teaching, inevitably, I think that this is what they have to come to. The idea that the scriptures are not—it's it, a lower view of scripture, right? Oh well, it has to contradict itself because the interpretation I'm taking of Paul doesn't line up with the rest of scripture. Hence, scripture's flawed, right? But it's like okay, so. You know, the Torah says one thing, Paul says something different. I'm going with Paul, which is, I understand that if he, but, but is that an arbitrary choice? If I say, well, scripture just disagrees with itself all over the place. Why choose under what ground am I going to choose any one of these supposed discrepancies over another? I don't know. Yeah. Why? So I wonder how he came across 
uh, our stuff. Um, yeah, that's if he's not even if this kind of thing isn't even on his radar. Uh, <laughs> well, let's. Uh, but I want so th okay. Uh, there's uh, multiple issues here. I've actually been in debate with somebody, and I'm not. I won't mention who they are, but I've been in debate with somebody that um, is mainstream Christianity uh, takes those kind of views, and th a lot of the same arguments have been <clears throat> made. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about these kind of arguments is, I he says this person here says, I claim no Jewish ancestry. As if that would matter. Uh, in the discussions I've been having with, with my friends, uh, they said basically the same thing. But then I realized that they were using the word Jewish and Israel synonymously. In other words, interchangeably. Which I don't think that works. Right? There was a mixed multitude that came out from Egypt. Jew and Gentile, Jewish being the, the bloodline of Jacob is how I'm using that now. I want, let me clarify my term. And, I don't, and I'm not two house. I'm not going to say that, you know, Jewish means the, the southern tribes while uh, Israel means the northern tribes. No, Israel is the, is the family, the nation of, uh, that God has made his people, right? And that's, Israel is used to describe the whole, the whole. Right. By the end of the... Old Testament, by the end of the Tanakh, when it says Israel, the idea is it's talking about Jew and Gentile together. The the it's talking about all of God's people, not just the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> right, exactly. So, and then you have we see this throughout, though, right? We see this throughout, and what's interesting is that you're not allowed to celebrate. Pa uh, you, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to eat the Passover lamb unless, as a male, unless you're circumcised. So, and it says, this is, a, this is a command for you and the alien and the stranger, right? It's for everybody. So and, here's, here's the question. What, what, we got to zero back into, because there's so many different directions from this email. That if we want to address it, the first claim he made was, I'm a Christian. The, the way I heard it, right. I'm a Christian. Yep. Circumcision has no religious value. Right. And, and, and I'm saying that as a Christian, which reminds me, I grew up in the Lutheran, uh, real conservative Lutheran uh, view that was, uh, took a sim similar attitude. In light of our, in view of our Christian liberty, we, are, we don't keep the Sabbath. Like we don't keep the Sabbath. They, remember, Luther did not, did not go with the idea that Sabbath just moved from one day to the other. He right. says, he says in Liberty, you eat whatever you want to eat. You, uh, worship whatever day you want to worship or not worship or, you know, not keep the Sabbath that these were like bold expressions of like strength. Right. Uh, that's the way it was taught. I kind of hear a little bit of that voice in, in that email. Um, well, so, so I, I think that a couple of things need to be first, said, and then we can move on to, and I, I think we should look at Galatians 5, 1 through 6. Sure. Here's the first thing. Yeah, we could totally do that. The first thing we need to remember is that the if we think of our, our theological, each of us has a theological imagination. I'm going to use the word imagination here. In other words, and what that is, is when you, you read your Bible, maybe you've read your Bible for years, maybe you have your favorite King James, or you've got... NASB or 
NIV, whatever, the, whatever your devotional Bible is, and your 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 time of of prayer and and meditation on the scripture, and uh, maybe singing scripture, thinking of scripture, having scripture remind you of other scripture, looking out, maybe you write out scripture as you as you're meditating on it. Okay, that whole spiritual practice is a kind of literacy. And as you build that, you might encounter, oh, I'm going to look up a Strong's number, right? I'm going to look up this Hebrew, Hebrew word behind this. And then you do a word study. And then what that is, every time you you labor in the Word of God, you expand the field of your imagination, of your theological imagination, biblical imagination, okay? Now, here's the thing. If, if my starting point with building and laboring is let's say the NIV or the King James or whatever, the key words that are in that translation are going to be the little milestones that are part of how my, my, uh, what I think of when I think of God's word. Right. And that's good. And, that, and, and if I'm, if I'm in China, if I'm Chinese and it's a Chinese Bible, all those, all those ideas are going to be in Chinese. If I do it in a King James, it's going to be all in King James. If it's in French, it's going to be in French, right? Okay, now, and it's also going to be a function of the translation I'm using or translations, what other resources I have. And as I labor, that little field grows and I grow, my ideas get bigger, my imagination. I'm sure. using that word because I don't know what else to use. But the horizon is limited. As far as I can see theologically is in part a function of what I've meditated on, the Word of God that I've chewed on in whatever language, whatever word studies. Okay, that's all good, and we're supposed to, that we start that way, and that's how we grow. But Paul wasn't thinking in English. Paul wasn't thinking in Chinese. He's in the first, he's 2,000 years ago, and so when he's writing in Greek, he has a completely different theological imagination and uses terminology that gets translated into, for example, English. But the problem is this. Our, our little fields, if we think of a little spatial metaphor, of understanding the Bible is limited by our time and our resources, etc., and is mediated to us through the translation history and the preaching. Sure. The only way to get into the world of Paul or the Gospels or the Torah, whatever, is to, the only way to stand in that country, in that space, is to be in that language, immersed in that world, and doing the same learning process, the same learning process where you learn grammar, vocabulary, language, your meditation, writing, recitation, singing, prayer, worship, all that, okay? And we have these different worlds. Well, what happens is, we get to places where there are theological strongholds that are holding the modern readers back from entering in the fullness of what the actual, what's actually in the scripture. And that's what's happening with this individual. I can, it's, it's just the fingerprints are all over it. Um, the idea of the way he's reconstructed first century history is, uh, non-sustainable if he's actually going to bother learning the original languages and history. So what he's doing, he's, he's letting these few scholars that he's read do his thinking for him. And now he's going to act as if he knows, as if he knows something, when in fact he doesn't. But he's going to 
uh, give opinions as if they're well-informed opinions, when in fact they're born of this more recent uh, kind of uh, labor rather than laboring act in the actual word of God. Okay. And so that, 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 you see what I mean? I see what you mean, but at the same time, Here, that's, just, wait, 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 that's, simple that, 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 example. wait, wait, hang on just a sec. That doesn't help our listeners though. Yes, it does. Let, no, it I'll doesn't because, because every, tons of people have, have this opinion. The point is, is that let's look at the scripture and see what the scripture says. No, okay, but that's not gonna that's not gonna help at at a certain point, because the re, then nothing's gonna help at a certain it's point. It's already sh- it, it it's already in the back and forth you guys are having. He's reading scripture, you're reading scripture, and you disagree, and yeah. he's gonna keep going to his scripture. So what's the tie, what's the tiebreaker? Well, the, tie, tip, the tiebreaker, the balance, the tiebreaker. It's just a, it's like a scale, and they're just both. You know, it's I the won same the no, no, no. I, I mean, whether he sees it or not, I won the conversation. I won the argument, and the reason why is because dude had to admit that he doesn't think that the that the scripture is infallible. He thinks the scripture is contradicts itself. Uh, checkmate. I won. I mean, I'm not trying to win the <laughs> argument, but I won the argument. You can't you can't come to the argument and say, oh well, yeah, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, okay, well then we're on a totally different playing field, right? Yeah. Well. I mean, for people you know, who for people who you, believe. You, okay, you found it. You 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 helped him see a a weakness in his position. I don't right? know if I did that, but he. he well, because he might be going back on. Wait a minute. Do I really want to stick with what I said to Caleb? Do I okay. really want to hold to that? Hang on, just a sec though. I want to go back for just a second because there is something that needs to be clarified about the the difference between Israel and and Jewish, which I take to mean bloodline, right? Bloodline descended from Jacob. The one thing I, I want to make abundantly clear is there is temporal blessing for the physical descendants of, of Jacob, right? They've been given a covenant, a land covenant. For the physical descendants of Jacob, they have rights to the land, which Gentiles do not have. That doesn't necessarily mean, or well, it doesn't mean that, that uh, Gentiles can't be a part of Israel. And what we see in uh, in Ezekiel is that uh, the Gentiles do get land rights in the in the millennium, right? Mm-hmm. So, but there's a spiritual blessing of Israel, which is for Jew and Gentile, like as long as you're part of Israel. And then there's physical, temporal blessings to the physical descendants of Jacob. That is bloodline, which is which is land rights. Okay, with that taken care of. Uh, now, I, I know I cut you off. I want you to finish your thought. If, if, that's, if, if you had something else to say, I want you to finish your thought on the, on the mindset issue. I, want, I wanted to give an example back to uh, <clears throat> Dr. Petrie's book on uh, Jesus and the Last Supper. Right. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch our Robin Caleb show from last April or whenever that was. Uh, Caleb can find the number if you need it. The, the point is this. He shows that an English reader today, we just read Passover. Passover, 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 Passover. Jesus kept the Passover. I want. I I wanted to keep this Passover, and every time we see that, we can just we kind of just put it in the same file folder. Passover, Passover. But what Dr. Petrie did it was so nicely in his book is we got we got to slow way down, and we got to look. Okay, it might be the same word used each time. But when we go back and look from first century eyes, we see that actually that same term, depending on context, meant different things. And we have to pay attention to those different things. For example, Passover, we have examples where uh, Pascha refers to the whole week of unleavened bread. 
we have Pascha referring to the the meal of at the for, uh, evening of the fourteenth of Nisan. We also have pa- uh, Pascha referring to the actual lamb, right? So these are all uh, different uh, specific um, meanings that the same term has. So the same term in the first century can have multiple meanings. Right. Circumcision is the same way. Right. And now, now I see where you're going. Okay. Absolutely the same way. We can't just like this guy reads, Oh, circumcision. And so every time he sees circumcision, Oh, Paul's talking against circumcision with why is he, his brain is doing that because he has this one file folder called circumcision or this one, this one symbol. And every time he sees it, he's attributing it. He's thinking the same things being signified. And then that's, that's, demonstrably mistaken. That is, that's not in And we can just, before we even look at the apostolic writings, we can look at the, we can look at the circum, what we call the circumcision text, just like we're talking about the Messiah text. You can go and look at how is the word Messiah used at Qumran? How is it used in, um, Josephus? How is it used in the Psalms? Right. How you can look at all these different Jewish texts broadly from the Second Temple period and look at different ways that Messiah was used. Okay, we do that with circumcision. We do that with the word Passover. And it's part of a healthy word study, if you're going to do word studies, is to include all the uses. Of, and this is what we call lexicography, by the way, just a footnote. If you're a, a scholar of ancient Hebrew or ancient Aramaic or ancient Greek, what do you do? We don't have a dick. No one, you know, God didn't hand down this huge dictionary. It says, here's what all the words mean. Just look it up. Or, or, a, a, or like the, the urban dictionary for the first century. Wouldn't that be nice? You uncover like urban dictionary <laughs> years. Yeah, zero exactly. through. <laughs> so, so what lexic- lexicographers do, they, these are the guys who make guys and gals, scholars who make the dictionaries. What they do is they say, okay, well, I have this word Christos. Well, what does it mean? Well, I know how Paul uses it. I see how it's used in the Gospels, but we also see it in this other Hellenistic area. So, well, let's look. So when you make the dictionary, a good dictionary is going to touch on all these different usages to help you get a semantic range for what that word meant. And that helps you then appreciate the nuance in any one particular place, such as Paul's use of of Messiah language. Okay, we got to do the same thing with with the word peritome, which is the word for circumcision, and the word for acrobustia, which is the word for foreskin. They are sometimes reflecting political agenda, sometimes theological agenda, sometimes philosophical or wisdom agenda. And in each of those, you, you ref, we see a different kind of Jewish sectarian bent or, or bias. And we have to recognize that when Paul's talking about uh, the covenant with Abraham, he's it, it, by necessity of necessity, he's interacting with these other strong voices that are in the world today. Just like when we talk about Shabbat, right? In in America, in messianic circles or whatever, if you start talking about Shabbat, you're yeah. going to encounter 
these other voices that say no, should, no, orthodox, not orthodox, yeah, orthodox Judaism, Reformed Judaism, yeah, or or that it's messianic done away, Christianity, or that you're not doing yeah. it right, or you, it's not even for you, right? Lutheranism, these are all yeah. the voices that are out there, uh, fueled through these different institutional uh, traditions that have their preachers and their teachers and their scholars selling right. their their interpretation. Two thousand years ago in, in Israel is no different. Even Josephus talks about how he went and hung out with the Sadducees and he went and hung out with the Pharisees and he hung out with this one guy out in the wilderness. And he's like telling you, he's like, okay, you know, he's checking out all the different schools. Okay. So all this to say, we got to be smart about this, that when we do a word study, we can't just say, okay, well, it means, you know, this word, this abstract word, circumcision means the same thing every time. It okay, does that. We see this. We see this within Paul himself, and so absolutely. So, so, so we see this, and I'll give you. I'll give you one example. Okay, we see Galatians, Galatians five one through six, right? Which we'll read here in a few seconds. He talks about, um, behold, I Paul to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you, and if I and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Okay, so he's using circumcision here in one sense. But then he says, in, and actually, just within this text right here, 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 20, he uses it against itself, right? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, all the ecclesia, was any, was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called uncircumcised? He is not to be uncircumcised, or he's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Circumcision is a commandment of God. Circumcision yeah. is said yeah. in ex- in Genesis 17 to be forever, right? Throughout all your generations. It's a commandment of God. How can he say circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God? Obviously, there's a different... Uh, he's using circumcision here in a way that's different from the command of circumcision, that is to cut away the foreskin. He's got to be. That, that's exactly right. And, and the key here is Galatians 5, 1 through 5. <clears throat> You want to read it or you want me to? Uh, or actually, it's one through six. Right. Well, here, I, I'd like to, if I may, I, I, don't, I have, let me add verse six there. because We have to read Galatians 5, one through six together. Um, because the whole point in Galatians is that you have people that are abandoning the gospel because they want to be accepted by a group of men. Right. The, the, the core contrast in the, in the epistle to the Galatians is Paul, he, he's bringing the sword of the Spirit right down. He's saying, you against either... Paul, against Peter, right? Against Peter. Well, in the very... Peter's, he, he uses Peter as an example yeah. in the stories because he tells a couple stories to make his point. But he, he brings the hammer down and he says, look, as if you are a new creation in Messiah, then you're all about pleasing God. And you are a servant of Messiah. If you're trying to please men, you are not a servant of Messiah. Right. The people, and this, what this does, this ups personal responsibility among believers. They have to go, wow, they actually have to think and examine their motives, the motives of their heart. Is my motive 
to serve Christ because I fear out of, you know, fear God? Or is my motive to play religion right. and to try to be acceptable by those guys over there because I fear man? So Paul, the, you have to understand the Epistle of Galatians as a, a stark uh, confrontation between uh, 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 for the individual to examine their motives. Do I have the Ruach of Messiah? Do I, does he sent his spirit of his son in me by where I cry, Abba, Father? If so, there is a logical worship that unfolds out of that. He talks about it in Romans 12. Okay, that is worship of God, not a fear of man. If, if I'm just being driven by, oh, those groups, I'm an outsider, and I want to be part of that club because they seem to have stuff that I want, then that's, Messiah has no benefit for me because I'm going to do, I'm, I'm in a mindset of just pleasing men and I'm just wanting to join a club so that I can feel good about myself, right? And that, that if they're excluding me and they say I'm shameful, let's say because I ha, uh, I'm not circumcised, then I can avoid, I can remove that shame in their eyes by doing, jumping through whatever hoops and starting to behave like their program is. And in adopting their program now, I've become reckoned as righteous in their eyes, in this group of men's eyes. And now I'm, I'm good and I'm accepted. And that's a, that is a core uh, problem with sin, sinful humans is the, the desire in the flesh to be accepted by groups and not to feel like I don't belong, right? We want to feel like we belong with the group. Right. Paul goes right to the core of that. So w- when we get to Galatians 5, he says if, if you receive circumcision, what he means there is if you – that's shorthand – for starting to live like these unbelief, unbelieving, uh, they're Jews, certainly, uh, but, they, but they're not motivated by the gospel. They're not motivated by the Spirit of Messiah in their hearts, crying out the Father. They have extra what's called Ma'aseh HaTorah, uh, works of the law. They have these community things that they've built up. This is who we are. You're either inside or, you know, if you're part of us, then, then all these things have to be all these boxes have to be checked. And these lists that they have are not, that they're tied maybe tangentially to what's written in the scripture. But we know this Qumran had the same thing. Qumran had oaths also you had to take at different times. See, now I, I, know that and, you, I know that you want to avoid the idea of, of uh, a ritual of conversion. But whether or not we uh, say, I, I think it's, it's something that does help in this conversation. No, it, I, it, it, I, I it, think, it's I mon, think, not monolithic. I don't. But my thing is that I don't think there was a monolithic. No, there uh, wasn't type of conversion. But because I think uh, Qumran would have had a completely different. As a matter I, of fact, I agree with you. You would have to con- if you were Jew. You could be grow up a Pharisee, and if you wanted to become a member of the Yahad, you would have to go through a conversion of some sort. They're not just going to accept you. Oh, okay, you were a Pharisee for ten years. Oh, well, you're right in. No, you got to go right to the end of the line. I agree. Totally. So it's so but, it's not necessarily conversion but, from Gentile to Jew. It's from Jew to specialized yeah. to Jew. Yeah. So, but would you agree? And I I think that the one thing that seems to be cross platform, even though each one of those ritual of conversions, I'm putting quote marks for anyone who's listening on the radio, that ritual of conversion from each group almost always, if not always, involved circumcision. And this is why Paul's able to use it. 
in the way that he does. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commands. In other words, it doesn't matter what group you try to convert to. Okay, so clarify, though. So uh, I, I, maybe I read this a little differently than you do, Caleb. But in, in Galatians 5, when he says, look, okay, if you, if you uh, start seeking to become recognized by this group that's so appealing to you, who are called – now, those groups are – he says that they are called the peritome. They're called, quote, the circumcision, capital C. They're called the circumcision. And so if you start to circumcise or peritomize, as I call it, you start to adopt, you want to do whatever you can to please those people. And I think Paul's using a little bit of parody or satire here because of the way he, it says it in the Greek. Um, he says that, uh, well, so that's verse, that's verse two. Messiah is no benefit to you. If, if you're, if you're, if you're if trying I'm to, all, if, if, you, if you're if I'm driven to... by fear of man, if I'm driven by fear of man and I'm, and all I want to do is, is be acceptable by this group over here with their little Torah rules. Then well, this, this ties in a little bit to, to, uh, this is like a, uh, one view of the new perspective on Paul, right? In other words, it's almost like a salvation by bloodline. In other words, if I become part of his, if I be, if I become Jewish, or if I if I become part of this group through circumcision, through the ritual of of becoming part of the the group, then I'm in, and that's that's my salvation. And they, Paul's saying, well, what we don't know, no. Paul doesn't. We don't know that their motive had the word salvation. It had the concept of salvation. We do know that their motive had the idea, they had a definition of dikaiosune, or what's called righteousness, and they were identifying righteousness right, as okay. acceptability in that group, of, in that circle. Right, so if you're part of our group, Paul you're righteous. Paul says what the righteous that matters is whether God reckons you as righteous or not. That's, that's what matters, is, is God's estimation of you, not of that, of that group, this or that social club's estimation of you. And, and that's where the rubber meets the road here. Paul says, if you're in Messiah, then that's what you care about. You care about how God reckons people as righteous, right. not as the Pharisees or the Yahad or the Essenes or the and Samaritans pa- and Paul or says, any of those. Paul says that's in Messiah, right? That's Correct. to be Correct. in Messiah. You only find righteousness in Messiah. So, so th- th- what Paul is doing by the time you get to verse 6 well, he says in verse 5, he says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. We're not trying to secure our own righteousness right. through jumping through a club clubhouse rules to be acceptable in, by some group and then thinking, okay, I've arrived now. And that's what he's fighting against. He says, but rather we in the Spirit, by faith, wait for the hope of righteousness. We, we are holding out for, like Yeshua says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Instead of trying to secure our own righteousness through group affiliation. Um, and then he says, for in Messiah Yeshua, neither the circumcision group or the or for because remember, it's not a circumcision, it's acrobustia, foreskin. These are the labels of the social groups. So the, the group says, we... If you're an insider, you're a member of our football team. You're the you're the peritome. If you're if you're outside, you, you're called the acrobustia. You're just the foreskins. And that was like a map of the world 
that was being sold out there. And people who were outside of that, who were being labeled acrobustia, and they say, well, I want to be, I want to be part of the peritome. I want to be part of the circumcision group. Paul says that motivation is wrong. That motivation does not stem from the Ruach of the Messiah in you. That motivation stems from the old man that needs to die. That's right. the fleshly desire to, to, to be pleasing and to be to, of men and to be acceptable to men. And Paul says the spirit of Messiah in you cares only about Abba Father right. and, and doing his commandments. And so what Paul is trying to do is trying to help people grow from a conception of a world that has, okay, male, female, slave, free, freeman, right? Um, uh, what are the other um, Jew, Greek, circumcision, foreskin, people who are thinking these social categories that comprise the map of their world, Paul's trying to shatter all those conceptions and say, look, if you're thinking through those conceptions as your lenses for the world, then you're not fully grasping what it means to be a new creation in Messiah, because a new creation in Messiah it has nothing to do with trying to maintain and preserve these old labeling systems and social categories. But or the, or in the, so doing now, but that's where Paul gets accused of saying, oh, so he's just doing away with the actual commandment. And, he, and no, he's not doing away with the commandment. As a matter of fact, he in Romans 4 is where he articulates precisely what circumcision means. Well, and that, he says yeah. it, it is a seal of it is he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had while he was yet uncircumcised. That is what circumcision means. And Paul does not invent that. Paul gets that right from the Torah. But if you were to go to look at Philo or you look at the Maccabees, the books of the of the generations of Pharisee teachers that came before him, they're teaching that it's nationalism. When you get circumcised, it means that you're that it has to do with identity with the Jewish nation as a nation state. Right. Right. Or if you're in Jubilees, it's a theological. You are you are not saved unless you are circumcised. There is no salvation for you. And it's not committed to this nationalist uh, territorial kingdom. But in Jubilees, it's this theological thing. Unless you're circumcised, you're not even saved. So. Paul's pushing back in the midst of the first century when you have these different voices. And then I think it's in 4th Maccabees, it's this philosophical, oh, you, you, you are, when you, the Jewish male who cuts off his foreskin is like showing his wisdom and discernment or something like that. And it's in, in either, any of these cases, they're losing this core point. And that's what Paul is trying to get back to is like, just what is the simple commandment in the Torah? Because it's been piled on with all these other traditions that have clouded the Gentiles' ability uh, or clouded the clarity of the signal. So when a Gentile comes to Israel, let's say in the first century, man, they're going to hear all these different people peddling this commandment. Of, well, they might not even call it a commandment. They're just going to call it circuit. This is a right we do, and this is what it means. How is a Gentile going to know who to believe? Okay, so— but hang on, the, real clear in in Romans four. The 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 icing on the cake here is that Paul specifically makes it known that he is not speaking against the ritual act of circumcision. 
Acts 21, and we've brought this up many times. Acts 21, 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with, with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the Torah. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live observing the Torah. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment. Yeah, so on and so forth. Then what happens? Paul goes. He doesn't say, well, I'm, t I'm telling him not to circumcise. No, he goes and he helps the men finish their vow, showing that he's not saying don't circumcise. Um, I completely agree with you. And I and very, here's one other side to this. The, back to the, you know, how Passover can mean different things. Even Paul himself in, um, let's see, it's in, in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the, of the false circumcision or the, the mutilation, he says. And then he says, we are the true peritome, or we are literally, hemesgar uh, esmen he peritome, we are the circumcision. Right. So now all of a sudden he's saying, <laughs> he, he's using, he, he uses he their uses, language. He uses their language to say, no, yep. we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Messiah Yeshua and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so he's it, – it, and then the other example would be in Romans 2 where he says, you who are physically circumcised, if you don't keep the Torah, then it's – you might as well be uncircumcised. You're, right. It is reckoned as uncircumcision. Right. So what he's showing here is that you have to – that obedience to God is whole, that our duty to God – and that's back to the Galatians 5 where he says you're obligated – Where well, the translation is obligated. It's actually we are debtors to do the whole Torah. Right. And he goes on in Galatians 5 to clarify what is the whole Torah? Love God with all – love your neighbor as yourself. He says this is the whole law. This is the whole Torah. And then in Galatians 6 – Love one another, bear one another's burdens, and fulfill the Torah of Messiah. So the prioritization of the Torah and understanding the Torah comes right from Messiah himself. Right. The Shema and love your neighbor, and everything hangs from those. And that doesn't mean anything's invalid. It just means everything hangs on those. That means if, you're, if you have a conception of Torah— no matter if you have 613 commandments or however many commandments you imagine, but they're not hanging according to Yeshua's prioritization, then you've got a set of works of the law, and it's a righteousness that is group-oriented, group-affiliation-oriented. Right. Do you have the—are you a card-carrying Pharisee? Um, and you're, you've misidentified what righteousness is, and Paul's fighting 
tooth and nail throughout these epistles to say the righteousness of God is what matters. Let's, Just like Yeshua says, seek first the kingdom of God right, and his yeah. righteousness. That unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not even going to see the kingdom. So the, where do we get this righteousness that is of God? And that's righteousness by faith. And how do we get it? It's because the spirit of Messiah has been put in us. It's not something we invent. It's not something I read the scriptures and all of a sudden I figure out the gematria and now I know all the mysteries. That's not how it works. It's by new birth, new creation, resurrection life, the active work of the word of God, of the, of the spirit of God by his word sown in our hearts, planted in our hearts, and, and it springs up and bears fruit. And it's we're his. We're his. We're okay. his out of his choice. And uh, I'll stop there. Okay. So <laughs> the the one thing that needs to be to be said, I think, is let's go back for a second. Let's pretend that this gentleman's uh, uh, suggestion, that, which is the mainstream suggestion, that Paul is totally against circumcision in the law. If this is the case, <clears throat> I this this baffles me. No one can answer this. No, no Christian that I've ever been able to talk to can can answer this. What authority does Paul have to contradict and to go and to say that the Torah and Yeshua is wrong? The answer is he doesn't. Just because some guy comes out and says, "Oh, I've been I saw a vision," I you know Christ said to me that I'm going to go to to people and tell them the truth. Guess who else did that? Joseph Smith, Muhammad. We don't listen to them. And why don't we? The answer is because they contradict what the scripture says. If Paul contradicts what the scripture says, he's a false prophet. He's a false teacher. And we reject him. Now, I don't but see that. But, but the uh, guy you're emailing wouldn't. He's well, not really but, have a high but, level of scripture. So. Well, exactly. But the people who do have a high level of scripture, we have to, let, we have to allow the scripture to, to uh, line up with itself. We have to allow the scripture to not contradict itself. And the way that we do that is to understand that Paul is not speaking against the law or the Torah. If he is, he is a false teacher. Now, I don't believe he is a false teacher. I believe he is a teacher of God who was sent to, to write a, a significant portion of, of uh, the word of God that we have today, right? And he did that through yeah. the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, but it's not against the rest of scripture. This is right. from a gentleman named Paul. He sent in this message to us, and, and I think that we'll, we can uh, uh, talk about this for a few moments and then, and then move on. Um, Paul writes, and he says, I recently watched show 202, Messiah and the Exodus, and wanted to ask more about circumcision. This was our last show. As I understand circ circumcision, it is a process of being in covenant with the Father, and any man who is not circumcised has broken that covenant, Genesis 7, 4, 17, 14. If we as believers in the Messiah and Abraham being our spiritual father in the faith of the Messiah, Romans 4, 12 through 13 and 16, are not circumcised today, does that mean we are not officially in covenant or are we all in covenant, those who believe and follow Torah to their best ability because Yeshua shed his blood and died to renew the covenant with the house of Israel? This is a great question because I know people currently who are believers who are not circumcised. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, and I can I talk about that? Absolutely. Go. I think the model for that is the wilderness. Um, just as those children of Israel were uncircumcised 
for 40 years in the wilderness. And they, it was only on entering into the land that basically Joshua took them as a surrogate father because it says he, and he basically took them as his own children and he, he circumcised them. And so in, in the interim, that doesn't mean they were not, it doesn't mean they were not part of the covenant during those years. And what we have today is, is by God's wisdom and by his tarrying, by the Lord's tarrying, we have a situation where we have great confusion among right. the people of God. Great confusion as to how to even interpret the Bible. Right. So before you even put anything into practice, the very interpretation and reading of Scripture is, is uh, an area of great contention and discord. You got to want it, right? It's it, and I think this is part of the design of of filtering. You got to really want it, because if it's just a seed that falls and you're excited about it for a while, but then it gets tough and it blows away. Well, you're Yeshua put that on the map. If it's just a seed that falls and then, but oh, but you know, I really like the things of the world, and I'm worried about this. And I'm worried about all these things of the world, and it bears no fruit. Fruit Yeshua already mapped that out. You know, right where you are on the map. So. It's, it's not easy, right, where we are, where we are. And, but ultimately, those people who are not walking in the fullness of, of the promises of any commandment still have t- to learn, right? And that's all of us. We're all debtors. Right. <laughs> We're all debtors to fulfill the whole Torah. That's, sure. that's the thing here. Have any of us, even in Messiah, can I say that I keep the, you know, the Shema I love yeah. God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I love my neighbors, myself, perfectly. No, no one's claiming perfection. We're all growing and learning. Right. But here's a, so. This is why we're like those children <clears throat> in the wilderness. Is that we have, or another analogy is children that uh, because there was a, a war and a captivity, and we're like children that were in captivity, and. In our, as we're being pulled out of Egypt or as we're being pulled out of, of that captivity, we, there's, there is grace. There is grace that connects the calling of God, of his people, and which covers their, their salvation and their process of, of sanctification, would take, which takes time. But ultimately, it says in Ephesians that we, that he, uh, that we would be blameless, that we'd be holy and blameless before him, right? That he, he, uh, ha- from the foundation of the world, set up the path for us to walk in. What's he talking about? It's, this is not new language that Paul's using in Ephesians. He's using the language of the Psalms, the language of the prophets, all referring to God's commandments, walking in the commandments. This is our promise. So when we recite the Shema, some, you know, the Shema is a, um, a tough batch of scriptures to read. It, when, if you recite it every day, if you recite it on Shabbats, um, and I'm talking the traditional Shema, you know, the, the, all the, the different passages there, because it confronts us with our finiteness, with our own sin, our own indebtedness to the commandment to love, right? That's, that's the deal. And, and we need to be exposed to that. Just like James says, we need to look in the mirror. We need to know what kind of people we are. We need to know that the old man's got to die and that the new man in Messiah is where it's at. 
And we got to see this. And that's why the, one of the biggest commandments in the, in the Torah is remember. Remember this. Remember this. You, why do we wear tzitzit? So you will remember the commandments because your eyes are going to want to go a whoring. They're going to go want a harlotry or play the harlot. So you need to see something. You need to remember the Sabbath because we forget. And this is what it's all about, to, to abide in the fullness of God's word is to, to not eliminate. Our, our, our sinful nature is not eliminated. No, we, we carry that cross with us, right, every day. And as long as there's something that God's going to do with us in this world, we're not going to, he's not going to take us yet. Okay, We've but got something to grow. So this is you, back, you've, back to you've the mo- idea. You've moved away from circumcision completely at this point. So, but circumcision is a subset of all this larger issue. Circumcision is a commandment. The attitude that it's been done away and it has nothing to do is actually, that's actually an arrogant um, and, you know, that's showing something in somebody's heart that is still hostile to, to the Torah. Right. And Paul says in Romans 7, <clears throat> I rejoice in the Torah according to the inner man. Um, and that the Torah is spiritual and right. the commandment is holy and just and good. So the conund- there is a conundrum there because the Torah shows our sin by the Torah is the knowledge of sin. But that does, but so we got to understand Paul's not doing away with circumcision. I would encourage any uh, male believer in Messiah to pray about this and, and, study those passages that pertain to circumcision. But when you are, when you, if you decide you want to be circumcised, it's the idea is it's not so that now you're going to be accepted by this group of guys that now they're going to go, Oh, you're one of us now and you're righteous now. And until you did that, you weren't, that's the wrong motivation. But what Paul says in first Corinthians, if someone already did that, if you already did that, let's say, you know, I was, I went through a phase and it was like, I was really, you know, the church was messed up and I, it seemed like Orthodox Judaism was where I needed to go. And so I actually got circumcised and converted. And now I'm, I've been living that way for a while. And now I'm thinking, man, did I, is this right? Paul's saying, don't now, now the epispasm is you don't stretch the foreskin. You don't, you don't go back and pretend and like actually try to make yourself physically uncircumcised again. No, he's saying you don't do that. But you've learned something, right? You've learned this lesson that 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 righteousness from God is not me, uh, measured out and uh, distributed by institutions of men. See, I, I I'll take I'll take a little bit more uh, hardline approach on this. I think that the that circumcision is a sign of the covenant. I think it's a sign of the Messiah Yeshua, and I don't understand why anyone who who's in Messiah wouldn't want his mark on them. Well, the, the, the reason why is because they've been taught, because of what they've been taught. The, That's but, what I mean. They're like a but, child who's been in captivity, who's been taught. I understand uh, that. But the, but the point stuff. is, is that as, as, especially as the Torah movement grow, grows, when we say we believe in, that the Torah is for, for sanctification, that includes circumcision. It's, and circumcision was Agreed. not even, a, circumcision was not part of the Mosaic covenant. Circumcision is part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is still applicable for everyone today, that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by Abraham, by uh, by Yeshua, by his seed. And so for those who uh, believe that the Torah is still applicable today and that uh, we uh, are following 
our Messiah. I don't, you know, I think that it is a good desire and a good thing to want to follow the commandments of God, and that includes circumcision. I would encourage any male who uh, is uncircumcised and has come to faith in the Messiah Yeshua to be circumcised. And here's, I, here's funny. Here's a support for this view, Caleb. It's funny because it's in the epistle to Barnabas. Um, and this is actually one of the earliest Jewish gematrias, funny enough. And I think it's because, it, and there's a whole discussion we could have pertaining to that. But now Barnabas is not scripture, okay? I'm not saying Barnabas is scripture. Barnabas is in Codex Sinaiticus, right? And it's right after, I think it's right after the book of Revelation. So it was in the fourth century, it was thought, it, it was bound in a volume that had all of the apostolic, or all of the Greek Tanakh, Plus, like Daniel and the Bell and the Dragon, right? Susanna, Judith, I think first through fourth Maccabees. So all what we what we would call the Apocrypha and even more, bound with the Apostolic writings, plus some other stuff. So this was a giant library, all in one giant book. It doesn't mean that the people who made the book equated the authority of Barnabas with the apostolic reigns. It's just that they, this is new book technology and it's like one giant library in one binding. Okay. Barnabas is there. So we, and it's cited by, I think Clement in the second century. So we know Barnabas was a second century Christian Jewish text. We could call it that. But what does he say? He says in Barnabas nine, seven, learn abundantly. Therefore children of love about everything. Abraham, who first instituted circumcision, looked forward in the spirit to Jesus when he was circumcised. So the very core, and then he goes on to say that Abraham circumcised, or he conflates, that the idea of Abraham having 318 men and that they're circumcised, that this 318 is a gematria because the the 18 is Yod, uh, uh, Yoda and Ada, which are the first two letters of, of Yeshu, Yeshus in Greek. And then the, the Tav for the 300 is it looks like a cross, right? So this is like a word picture, gematria combined. But the idea is Barnabas is saying, which I believe is an older legitimate idea that he's building on, is that Abraham is associating circumcision with the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that is absolutely uh, uh, clear because it's you know back to Romans four. Paul received the sign of circumcision uh, as a as a seal of the faith that he had. I'm sorry, I got to interrupt here. I, okay. Ter- Terry has missed. Uh, Terry's in the chat room. I feel like Terry has missed a, a significant portion of everything that we've said. You know, so if someone doesn't circumcise, what is their their fate? I, I mean, how many times do we have to say it? Sanctification yeah. is an ongoing road. Justification is by faith alone. I mean, uh, maybe we'll have to take this up next week. I, I ju- yeah, but I mean, on. no, I mean, it, we, how many times have we said this, Terry? If you don't get it now, I don't know what to tell you, man. We keep saying that faith is justification is by faith alone. It's not by works. You can't justify your fa- yourself by being circumcised. You can't justify yourself by keeping the Sabbath. You can't justify yourself any which way. 
God doesn't so work in you. Yeah, exactly. We need to uh, pause if someone's asking that kind of question just to say, what is righteousness? What do I mean when I say righteousness? What is the difference be, uh, between righteousness of God versus the righteousness that is being peddled by the Qumran group, right? They had, you keep the work, Qumran, the, the Maaseh HaTorah, they had the halakhic letter. If you don't keep these specific extra commandments that we have, you're not reckoned as righteous. Right. And you're not part of Israel. And you're not part of Israel. Oh, wait, I, I want to say one more thing here. We, uh, in terms of Helen's question in the chat room, Helen, great question. So her question was, what about our young children? We didn't circumcise them. They're young. Do we make them get circumcised now? No. The command is to get circumcised on the eighth day. Is for a parent to circumcise the child on the eighth day. If you if you haven't done that, then it's then the child will wait until they become an adult to be circumcised. But and somebody else brought up the idea of of uh, eating the Passover. We can't eat the Passover in our time. There's no temple. The Passover is the lamb. We can have a Passover seder, which is to celebrate the meal as uh, as a remembrance of the Passover. But the, to eat the Pascha does not mean to have some ritualistic dinner. It means to slaughter the lamb and eat the lamb. We can't do that. Um, and so uh, no one can eat the Passover today. If your child isn't circumcised, they can still participate in the Passover seder. They just cannot eat the Passover right. lamb. So if the just, Masa- like, just like there is... Yeah, exactly. So when the Messiah comes and the temple's built, which I believe, and I know that there are people in the chat room that, um, uh, then that, okay. And, uh, yeah, then, then we'll have to talk about those things. And Terry, I apologize for saying you don't get it, but the, but the point is, is that Torah resource as a whole, Rob, myself, my father, and I believe a significant amount of people in the chat room, uh, Continue to say over and over and over and over and over again, justification is by faith alone. It is not by works. That is not what to, uh, observing Torah is. And it's an important justification is a core concept to grasp for a believer. Right. It's page one. It's page one. Right. And it's by grace. Right. Exactly. Not by works. That's so, like page one. So don't jump ahead to page twenty. Until you well, can, you and know. This isn't just Terry. And once again, I, I apologize to Terry yep. if I offended you, but th- this isn't just towards Terry. There are tons I don't even of. See the uh, there, there, so I, I, I mean, the people that, the Christians that I'm in, in, uh, in conversation with, this is something that keeps coming up. Oh, so if I don't, so if I eat pork, I'm going to hell. No. If you've been justified by faith in the Messiah Yeshua, then you are one of the elect. You are in Messiah. But being in Messiah if we are truly in Messiah, will make us uh, continue to be sanctified. It's an ongoing road, right? I always bring up the person falling up the escalator, right? The point is, is that we continue to strive more and more to keep the Torah and to do what is right. And we see this in Christianity too. There was a wonderful brother that I met one time. I went to a... They want to obey, you know. I mean, it's a a genuine genuine believer in Messiah. This is Paul's total point in Galatians. If you have the spirit of Messiah and you you cry, Abba, Father, I want to please you. That's the the core seed. Right. And so I I, I, I went... I'll I'll tell a quick story. I went to a, a biker church one time. And if... I mean, if you if you're on the radio and, and you can't see me, I'm... 
I'm certainly going to be out of place at a biker church. I walk in and everybody, you know, it's Harley's all in the parking lot. I walk in, it's in a huge tent. Everybody's got leather on that says, you know, has like a patch on the back that says like kind of affiliation. Christ loved me or, you know, saved by grace or whatever, you know, and it's all these huge. And there was this guy who gave his testimony and he was in a, a, a biker gang and um, all these things. And he found Christ and he said it was almost instantaneous. He left his biker gang. He wanted to help people. He didn't want to hurt people anymore. All sorts of stuff. What was that change? Whether he calls it Torah or not, that is the Torah. That's, that's, that's the spirit of Yeshua. Right. It's that's the Torah the being written. Messiah. That's it's, God's spirit in it's the, you. It's the yeah. Torah being written on the heart. And that is called sanctification. Justification happened when that man accepted Christ, his Savior, as the, and he became in covenant relationship with Yeshua. That is the same. That is the justification moment. Sanctification. That is the Torah being written on the heart is an ongoing work between God and ourselves, and so we can look at a Christians if they don't keep the and you can't you can't start you. You can't. It's not like you're justified, and then it just stops, and you have the option of sanctification. Right. It's just a. It because it just starts growing. It's a. It's like just like a seed grows. It. You can't help it. But the but the point you is know. is that look I and once again I can go to my my own family. My my grandfather was a Baptist pastor, a solid believer, great man of the Lord. Right. Brought many people to Christ. Uh, he was the agent that brought many people to Christ, right? Christ brought everybody to himself, but not the point. Anyway, and he never kept the, the Sabbath on Saturday. Now, I can look at my grandfather and say, I believe that he is in the kingdom now. He didn't, oh, keep, yeah. the, he didn't keep the Sabbath. But just like all of us, my grandfather was continually being sanctified unto God. Just like a person who is in covenant relationship right. with Yeshua, who's not circumcised right now, yeah, can still be justified right. and be part of the covenant. Now, it, I think it's right to want to to be to show that through the command that God has given of circumcision. But that doesn't that that command of that cutting away the foreskin is not going to justify you. If you're not justified already, guess what? That in, that ain't doing you, anything. You don't suddenly be more acceptable to God on the other side of that, because that, that's not what it's about. Exactly. It's exactly. not like God loves you more now, but it has to do with obedience, like Paul says, but keeping the commandments of God. Right. There's a reason why God gave commandments, and it's good to keep them. That's basic 101. But, well, we you know, but today, Helen, Helen in the chat room says she appreciates the discussion. Thank you for saying the basics over and over. We are fickle. Well, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of these basics have come to me recently, right? We continue to grow in these things. And I'm happy to continue to, to uh, uh, talk about the basics because the basics are really where the foundation is, right? The Messiah is uh is is the foundation okay it's been a good discussion i hope that everyone uh is has enjoyed it we're going to be back next week 
I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but I'm sure it'll be something great. There'll be some backlash. There'll be some huge backlash from this, I'm sure. And uh, we can continue our discussion about uh, the Messiah and the uh, expectation of the first century, right? There's tons that we can talk about. And uh, so, yeah, until next time, we hope that this conversation has done one main thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah matters.